Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in a relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah, release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Our parents have sacrificed so many things to try to create a life that they think we needed. And although that's really admirable and sweet, the one piece they missed was us seeing who they really are and seeing them fight to preserve their autonomy and freedom. Hi, my name is Mark Groves and I'm obsessed with understanding human behavior and why we do what we do. In this podcast, I interview the world's most brilliant minds and hearts where I get to explore alongside you every subject you can imagine relating to our human experience and how we relate. It is my deepest intention that we all learn how to create the life and love that we've always dreamt of. Now, before we get rolling, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And one ask that I have, and an amazing way that you can help support the podcast is by wherever you listen to it, giving it a five-star review and a written review. With all that said, let's dive in and transform our lives. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. Today, I'm joined by the millennial psychologist, Sarah Kubrick. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Where did you start? Uh, during a meltdown. So, <laughs> As all uh, As wonderful all transformations yeah. <laughs> with some sort of uh, dark night of the soul. Yeah. So, I mean, I talk about, you know, my childhood experiences, which we can discuss later, have contributed to kind of this uh, mindset of survival versus self-awareness. And it shifted really young. And what I was focused on was surviving. I was not thinking about self-expression and what I was feeling and like how I can share that with other people. Like there was none of that. And I, I just didn't realize how long I was surviving. Even after the threat was gone, I was still in survival. And I was in survival till my 20s. And that guided almost every single decision. And very rarely did I have an authentic decision. These were not bad decisions, though. And I think this is what makes it confusing. I didn't have a phase where I just like 
did things that people were like, oh, did you see Sarah is dating this person or doing drugs? Like it wasn't, it was none of that. What I was doing was becoming an overachiever, doing well in grad uh-huh. school, getting yeah. married, helping my community. Like on paper, people were like, we want to, I've had friends be like, we want to be like you. And I remember just being like, wow, what a sad existence if that's what you want, because I don't even want to be me. Um, and so I think my meltdown came as a surprise to absolutely everybody, including myself, because that girl from, you know, Bosnia and Serbia, if you told her that's who I would have been like this quote unquote successful or like integrated individual, she would have been like, wow, amazing. And it was during that period of my life that I completely kind of came undone and had to deconstruct everything about myself. And that started with a panic attack. My body was like, that's enough. Why do you think we get there? And and were there a lot of signs for you earlier? Other than, you know, the ones that people would normally miss, which I appreciate you sharing, like the overachieving, like the perfectionism, like, which are much higher functioning ways of they're productive, sure. societally reinforced, awarded ways of coping. Yeah, and they, they're almost like the golden standard, so you don't even realize you're coping. That's the issue. Right, you're truth. Like, I'm achieving. And I, right. I wasn't really existentially. I was just barely coping. Um, and I think there were so many signs. I just didn't know what, this, what to look for. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to know what you don't know. Especially when it's normal. Like Especially you're doing normal. normal things, but you're like, why don't I feel good? I'm normal. I'm good. I'm I'm excelling at all these things. Yeah. And I think even when it comes to like my childhood trauma, everyone I know in my family experienced the same thing. And it was also normal. <laughs> like we didn't walk around being like, what was the war like for you? Like it was just right. like, that was a normal part of life. And now we keep going. No one even identified it as trauma. That's the interesting thing. It war. was just war. It was just life. The first war in Bosnia occurred when, you know, like a year or two after I was born. So that was more something my family had to experience. And it's interesting to see how trauma is passed down and, you know, how as a child you absorb everyone's nervous system and all this really interesting stuff. But then the one that I actually remember was the NATO bombings in 99. And I was, I think like seven or eight at that time. So that was like my very first experience of something firsthand. Although like my siblings and my parents already experienced something like it. So it's fascinating to see how we coped differently with that particular conflict. What was the difference in how you coped? Um, I think for my siblings, because they were older, they understood more what was happening. They've also Mm. survived. I'm choosing my words carefully. They survived another conflict prior to that. And so I think to them, this was kind of like, okay, we know what to do and we know why it's happening. And I also feel like they had some sense of agency, like they were protest and they were, you know, because they were teenagers. So I think they felt like they were somehow a part of this and they could do maybe something about it or not. Mm -hmm. And their voice mattered. And, you know, they would have these discussions. Well, for me, I was completely shocked. I felt like my childhood was stolen from me. Like that innocence, that belief that the world is a safe place, you can trust others was completely taken away. And I think that was a very difficult place to start in life. Yeah. (laughs) When you have so much distrust and so much fear of everything and anything and, you know, not knowing if your parents are alive because, you know, they're traveling, doing something and, and you know that that, location got bombed like it was it was a lot of fear and uncertainty that then I had to unlearn about life later on 
Did you have support at all in the management of that emotion or did you internalize it? So I have to say my parents are brilliant. Like considering what we lived through, I have such minimal consequences. I will say that like not develop PTSD. I did not. And I think part of that was because my parents were such a safe space for me. And my parents, you know, maybe they didn't call it trauma, maybe they weren't educated in psychology, but they very much knew how to build a sense of safety, how to explain things to the best of their abilities, how to help me manage emotions. So I think they did a really great job, but did they help? I still led to whatever it led to in my 20s. So they did their best. And yet I still in my 20s then saw a therapist and was like, this happened. And she's like, so that's still trauma. And I was like, is it? <laughs> You're like war? Bombings? War? Fear like, of dying? Traumatic? Yeah, yeah, people die. Is that still a thing? And she's like, yeah, let's talk about it. And I was shocked that that was still like something that could possibly be impacting me. It's crazy how much it lives in the nervous system so unconsciously. And then we have all these survival strategies that just manifest and we call personality. And that, you know, what you said was, uh, it reminds me of um, Gabor Mate's book, the book Myth of Normal, that like, you know, here you are normally operating high functioning, like high performing and not realizing that the high performance is a one of, you know, not that there's not authenticity to it because you're a high achiever, but there's also a, an adaptive part of it that's like, I don't want to slow down and be still because if I am, I'm going to be with things. And also I think about what you said about being young because I think it's in um, Mark Wolin's book, It Didn't Start With You, Inherited Trauma. And he talks about how in utero, the baby is exposed to the stress hormones of the mother. So if the mother is in a war or in an experience, the baby is being exposed to high circulating cortisol, which is, and then they're like being prepared to come into war as a baby. What do you think about all that? I think it's fascinating. I think um, I, I very much understand the impact that preparing for war, living through the conflict for my parents. And, you know, their stories are wild. And I know that I was a part of those stories and I was there and they had to do those stories while carrying me in their arms. And that's such a strange concept. So I definitely think there's a lot that was passed down. And I believe it because I know what my nervous system was like before I did therapy. What do you think, like for the people listening who have had exposure to early childhood trauma, whatever it might be. And your book is called It's On Me. Why did you create that title? As an existentialist, and then also just as reflecting part of my healing journey, it's really shitty and unfortunate and unfair to have horrible things happen to you. Mm -hmm. And yet it does not take your responsibility away. Right. I think responsibility is one of the most profound things we have and the most empowering things we have. And I think the realization was that, especially because my book is about the self and self-loss, it's no one else could do this work for me. They could try. Some people want to, but they couldn't. And I think I realized the only person that can save me is me. And this wasn't like Of course, having community and support was important, but when it comes to doing the hard work, it's like being a human means taking responsibility for the freedom and the choices you have and cultivating a sense of self. And the way you choose to live your life, the way you choose to settle, the way you choose to make decisions, it is on you. 
We like to think it's not on us. <laughs> and there's a lot of factors that play into it that maybe make it a bit more difficult to be authentic or fully aligned sometimes. But I think no one else can take that responsibility. So it does ultimately belong to us. And I think that's a really hard truth. Mm-hmm. And it's a truth I didn't want to embrace for a long time. But I think when you start to embrace it, your life drastically changes. So for me, having that title was more like a hope, more of an empowerment than like finger pointing. When you look back and you look at responsibility as a word, it would have appeared that you had a high sense of self-responsibility. So what do you think was the differentiation of where you weren't taking responsibility? I wasn't taking responsibility for being happy. I wasn't Mm. taking responsibility for healing. I wasn't even taking responsibility for the things I was doing. I just did them because I knew I I would get approval for them. But I wasn't taking responsibility for them. Arguably, I was taking responsibility for like trying to belong and move on. Right. So it's not like I didn't take any, but there was so much that I ignored. So when you look at your transformation and you use in the book the term self-loss. So let's start with like, what is self-loss? I think self-loss is self-estrangement. It's lack of congruence, resonance, alignment. That's like a really nice definition. Then I have a really brutally honest definition, <laughs> which is that was like the Webster's, and then yeah, now, yeah. So Webster's dictionary. Now no, here is the my fuck around and tell you the truth. Exactly. I like it. So that's like the existential. Yay, we're all academics. Here is like what the definition is, and then my definition is our failed responsibility to be yourself. I like that. Okay, so self loss is the failed responsibility to be yourself. You know, when we've spoken offline, I like our existential conversations a lot. I mean, that goes right to the root of my desires in life. But I've been reading this book from um, Grant Cardone. Mm -hmm. Now, Grant Cardone is a savage teacher. He's mainly business. But in it, he says that you have an ethical responsibility to be successful. And I think about what you're saying, Mm -hmm. because what really had me change was the ethical responsibility that I had to my own values and my own integrity. Mm. It was only through the pain of the dissonance of not being in alignment with my own values that alcohol was soothing. Mm. I still used alcohol a lot after that because I didn't, I hadn't stepped fully in congruence. Once I, which I don't think you're ever fully in integrity because you learn more and then you change. Exactly. I love that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But there was, then I no longer needed alcohol and I didn't want it anymore because I actually enjoyed being myself so much. So, So yeah. So I'm curious when you think of self loss and that failed, it's so powerful the word responsibility because to me, the word responsibility is the discovery of the control that you have over creating of your life. And I think that religion hijacks this, not all religion, but hijacks it because it gives you this idea that there's usually a white guy who's old and he's in the clouds and he determines your fate. And so there's this level of stepping into connectedness, oneness, God-like levels of choice and responsibility when you go, Oh shit, like I can choose my life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so many good points. Something I try to debunk in the book is that you don't find yourself. 
That's good. Right? Like, I'm so tired of people saying that you find yourself. It's like going into your closet and being like, oh, there is that sweater. Put it on. You're good to go for the season. <laughs> there's, there's myself. I just... There's myself. Oh, my God. It's fall. It's sweater weather. That's me. Let's do this. That's me. Perfect. Let's do it. And I just... I think that's such a passive way to exist. And that's a way that's not responsible. It means yourself was pre-constructed, given to you, and all you have to do is step into it. Mm. I think you create your sense of self. I think your sense of self is ever evolving, ever changing. And every decision, every interaction, every conversation, every movie you watch, every drink you have shapes it a little bit. Interesting. It shows you the level of like micro choices. Exactly. So you're bringing it down to like that level of responsibility to every. Yes. The nitty gritty, the like responding to the text, to spending time with this person, to saying yes to this job. Because what happens with self-loss, so many of us enter it passively. And it's not actually passive because it was your choice, but you're not even aware Mm -hmm. of all the choices that you're making. And then you wake up one day and you go, this is not my life. I don't want this. I don't want the wife. I don't want the kid. I don't want the, and these are extreme versions, but I don't want the house. I don't want that job. And you wake up and you realize none of it is yours. None of it feels like possession. I've been there. Yeah. I think we've all been there. It's horrifying. And that's because we don't take every single decision seriously. But, you know, Heidegger talks a lot about how malleable your sense of self is and it's always evolving. And I love that concept because it makes me take everything so much more seriously because I understand that this conversation we're having right now is ultimately going to impact my sense of self. And either it's going to, I don't think there's a neutral sense of self. You're either going to align and possess yourself or you're going to be inauthentic. Interesting. Like you either are truthful or you're not. Oh, you're not. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral in being a human. So are you also making the case that the truthful version of you is actually presenting itself in each moment too? Like, like as we're having this conversation, We've never had this conversation before. Correct. So my perceptions and possibilities and values might be revealed during this conversation. Not just revealed to you, but revealed to me. I think the self is not something you think. The self um, is created through expression. So you can think about who you are, all you want. Until you have actions that align with that, you're either going to have an incongruent sense of self, or you're not going to fully understand yourself. So you can go, I know what I would be like in this context. Yeah. You enter that context, you're nothing like it. <laughs> that should tell you something though, right? Like yourself is expressed and that's how you get to see it. Otherwise you don't see the self. And so I think it's like this co-creation of constantly expressing it, evaluating it, then that informs who you think you are, then you express it again. And you experience who you are. And then you experience uh. who you are. And it's such an interesting ongoing process that I think the concept of that exhausts people. Fair enough, but you're still doing it. <laughs> so you're either going to consciously do it or you're not going to consciously do it. And I love something you said. I don't think you ever fully become yourself because part of yourself is always in the future. Um, I think that's also an interesting, like there's always room and there's always going to be growth and changes and shifts. And at no point can you claim full heartedly, this is me forever. This is a, this is right. how, who I am in all complexity and comprehension. 
Magnesium is essential for life. It's an element and a mineral that's found throughout nature, and it's actually the fourth most abundant mineral in the body and is responsible for hundreds of enzymatic reactions. However, most of us actually fall behind in our daily intake of magnesium, which means our muscles, nerves, bones, and energy production just won't run as efficiently. But now you can get the magnesium that your body craves in an easy-to-take, eco-friendly capsule from one of my most trusted and favorite brands, Organifi. Now, magnesium is truly amazing. It supports bone and muscle health. It may help relieve occasional muscle cramps. It promotes nerve health, supports cellular energy, and it helps with energy production. It's one of the body's electrolytes, and it's essential for DNA synthesis, ATP and energy production, reproduction, blood sugar regulation, nerve transmission, muscle contractions, and obviously so much more. Organifi's magnesium glycinate is gentle on the body, highly digestible, and does not cause gastric distress. On top of that, when combined together with one of my favorite products, Chocolate Gold, they make a great pre-sleep duo. So what's not to love? So whether you're looking to sleep deeper, have less stress, or add on the minerals your body needs, go to Organifi.com slash CreateTheLove and use the code CreateTheLove for 20% off your magnesium today. You'll actually get 20% off everything. Make sure you grab some of that Chocolate Gold. That's Organifi.com slash CreateTheLove and get 20% off with the code CreateTheLove. I think when we have the idea of who a self is and then that let's say character that we've created maybe in the mind then guides who we're being mm -hmm. um if we're not allowing the malleable shaping of that we will then do what you're saying create the life where we wake up one day and we're like this is not what i wanted i remember saying to myself like how did i get here and it was this recognition that I hadn't actually chosen my life in 10 years, but I'd chosen it, but not mm -hmm. from like a conscious, conscious, creative space where I was willing to disappoint others. And mm -hmm. I think so many of us, you know, you were giving that extreme example. We wake up and we're like, I don't want to be a stockbroker or I don't want to be in this marriage or I don't, how did I end up with a family of three? And, yeah. you know, then there's that sense of responsibility of self of like, okay, well, what kind of father or mother do I want to be? What kind of yeah. partner do I want to be? And I think the responsibility to the children, which this is, of course, I think a, a controversial perspective, yeah. but I believe the, the responsibility to the child is to bring the self fully alive and to bring the self fully alive in the relationship and that the relationship itself is not actually a demonstration of a healthy relationship if it doesn't celebrate and involve the liberated space for two people to be selves. For the most part, you're not doing your child a favor. I think the most beautiful gift you can show your child is being yourself. I think I write about that. One of the reasons most of us don't know how to do it is because we haven't had parents demonstrate it. Our parents have sacrificed so many things right. yeah, to I try agree. to create a life that they think we needed. And although that's really admirable and sweet, the one piece they missed was us seeing who they really are and seeing them fight to preserve their autonomy and freedom and take responsibility in these sorts of ways. And so I think um, if you're, you know, a, a parent, it's a really difficult decision because you're like, which lesson, which destabilization? Right, right. Where do I start? You know, because there's no such thing as a perfect parent and that's totally okay. That's actually a liberating thought in and of itself. Yeah. How do you define what is a self? Like if we're looking at the literal meaning that you give. 
I think this is where you need to read my book because it is complicated. But I think I say like if there was an ingredient to the self, it would be choice, responsibility, and freedom. And how you use that will determine what the self is. But it's really the creation of the self. I don't know if there is like a entity. The self is the soul of the earth. Like it's, I don't, you know, there You're isn't a star any seed. That. Come on. I, yeah. There isn't any of that. And I'm not saying that can't be part of how you choose to live your life and how you choose to orient the self. Of course, Sartre talks a lot about religion, alleviating the responsibility we have and other institutions of like, if I have a prescribed way of living, then I'm not as responsible and I don't have to utilize all my responsibility and freedom and choice because I've given that away. And we give that away all the time as a way to be like, okay, there's a right way of doing this. I'm not responsible for for what I'm doing because people tell me that's what I should be doing. And I think my book kind of debunks that and goes, no, no, the self is just made up of these three ingredients. I think it's kind of like an unsexy answer of like, it's literally what you do with your freedom and how you take responsibility for your choices. That is the self. What do you think about how... Because I agree with you that through the engagement with the idea of a God or whatever our religion might be, we are we are born generally into our religions, and so we don't mm-hmm. choose them. So then we're given this framework of what religion and spirituality looks like. We generally unconsciously agree to that to maintain membership in our community, our religion, yeah. our family. And so the religion generally says, here's the way to live life. This is what a good life means. This is what it means to be a good person. Here's some commandments. Here's some guides. Everyone has a worldview, Mm -hmm. be it guided by religion or by science or by something else, academics. Yeah. So we're all choosing something that will guide our lives. And it's easy to like crap on religion, which is not my intent at all. It's just I'm the one crapping right now. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, You're good. I'm just saying like you're responsible for the fact that you are prescribing to a religion. So if yeah. you were born into a religion, like I was, I was born Christian. Same. Great. Catholic. But did you have that moment where you went, what works, what doesn't? You're responsible to have that process and then go, I am intentionally aligning with this. Beautiful. And I'm intentionally surrendering some of the responsibility, some of the choices, some of the freedoms, because I think this will give me a life of fulfillment. I think this will give me a life of alignment. Awesome. If you just do it, because that's what you're born into, and you're like, I can't be bothered, which sounds ridiculous, but I think that's how 90% of us operate. 100%, of like, yeah, why go through all of this? This seems to work. I've been told this is right. That's when I think we're failing. And I think for me, when I look back on my the way that religion has shaped me, I'm not necessarily angry at the religion. I'm angry at myself for not taking the responsibility to see, like, do these traditions align with who I am and who I want to become or do they not? And so I think it's kind of like, you know, we'll all to some extent be prescribed to some sort of worldview, but take responsibility for that worldview and be intentional in reassessing it, aligning with it, engaging with it, rather than just being like, it is what it is. Let me just do it. Great. I wonder what you think about that part of the self, because to have self-loss, you have to have a self that relates to what you lose, right? Mm -hmm. So through the loss, I suppose you're discovering what is the self. Okay, this is how I explain it. Let's see if this answers your question. So let's say that you are deep diving and you're in the water and you're swimming 
but you're very aware where the surface is. So if something you're like, I know where to swim up, I know where the oxygen is, great. This is what I call inauthenticity. When you are lost, and I think some people never had their sense of self to begin with, depending on your upbringing, it's an interesting, like never fully, fully understood who they were. I agree with that. Um, I think it's like you're in a riptide. And you know you need to swim somewhere. You have no idea where the surface is. And you're like, I'm swimming, but I understand that if I keep swimming in the wrong direction, I'm like pretty much ensuring my death or my existential death. And it's more of a state of existence than like an action of like, I dove in and I realized I was like in the dark and like, yay, now I'm going to the surface and like I'm (laughs) high-fiving my authentic self. Like this is like... I am there. I don't even know how I got into the riptide. I have no idea where the surface is. I can't even really go, well, that feels authentic or doesn't. Cause at some point you feel like you actually don't know. Like it's a full stranger that you need to reintroduce yourself to. I think self loss shows you the emptiness where the self should be, but I don't think it necessarily tells you who the self is. Interesting. And I think sometimes it's literally trial and error. Like that's usually the next question. People are like, well, then how the F do you figure it out? Yeah. That's the way you're saying I'm in a fucking riptide and I don't know where to swim. So like, what do I do? Exactly. And so I think part of that is just understanding that it's trial and error. Hopefully you can hold your breath long enough. (laughs) I mean, but like it is trial and error. And I use like Runaway Bride. So I use Sartre and then Runaway Bride right next to each other. I mean, those go hand in hand. Hand in hand. And I don't know if you watch that movie, but it's a woman who always runs yeah, from the altar. And then there is like a, I'm just telling the viewers in case you haven't heard or seen it. And then there is a journalist who writes a story about her. And so he starts to interview all the grooms she's left at the altar. And he really gets to know her. And then there's a scene where they're having a fight in a parking lot. So Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. And he goes, you don't even know who you are. Like you, you keep, and she's like, he's like, you don't even know what kind of eggs you like. Because what he found out is that with every single guy, she said she liked the eggs that the guy liked. So one, she's like, when he asked him like, what's your favorite egg? One guy was like scrambled. The other guy was like boiled. The other guy was like poached. So he goes, you don't know what kind of eggs you like. And she goes, that's called changing my mind. And he goes, no, that's called not having a mind of your own. And it's a really interesting moment because then there is a scene in the movie where she goes home and makes a bunch of eggs. And she sits there and she goes for the first time, instead of eating the egg for this guy or convincing myself, I like that egg. I'm going to taste eggs and just see what I like. And then she decides what her favorite egg is. And that's such a powerful moment for me. I know it's so basic, but it's so basic because it's so true to the human experience of like, sometimes you're just going to have to go quiet enough to hear yourself, to go, okay, I'm doing this. What does this look like? And for me, you know, that's decluttering your mind, paying attention to your thoughts, paying attention to your body, paying attention to your emotions, all the things we've heard so many times, but that stuff is so powerful. And it's about trial and error, trying different things, and then being silent enough and intimate enough with these aspects of yourself, learning to be intimate with these aspects of yourself so you know what they're saying back to you. I hear that all the time from someone when it's like, what do you want in relationship? What do you value? And because Mm. their self has been so 
uh, adaptive for survival. Compromised. You're right. They're like, I actually don't even know. And I think that place where people often get stuck is the overwhelm and the grief of not having had a self. And then that, which of course needs to be there. And the actual joy and possibility of like, you don't even know who you are. Holy shit. You have a blank canvas, like go bungee jumping, go, you know, have a one night stand. Maybe don't do that, but like, or do that if you want to, but like, you know, try some new funky stuff, become a furry. You know, those people who dress up in furry outfits and hook up, whatever you want to do. But I, yeah, yeah, the level of discernment that you talked about earlier too, of like, do, does this fit or does this not? Mm-hmm. When we haven't even oriented to does this fit for me or not? Mm. Ah, like what a like in the context of the religion we're practicing, the foods we like, the people we date, the relationships we're in, the shit we tolerate. Like mm. when we talk about boundaries, we always talk about like keeping bad behavior out. But we don't yeah. talk about like even red flags. We talk about other people's red flags. Oh my god, don't get me started. I know. What about your red flags? And I right. love when people are like that like pale red flag really bothers me. And I'm like, you're like a circus. Like there's red flags just <laughs> circulating you. And that's not like pointy finger. It's like, I've been that person where I'm like, oh, well, like they kind of do this while I was completely closed off, unavailable. Oh yeah. Like, and I think that's the hard thing. We don't even see our own red flags or we project our red flags onto others. But yeah, I think when you're that unaware, none of this change can happen. So really awareness is always the first step. I think too that common sort of pop psychology language of social media is this conversation mm-hmm. about, well, just love yourself. One thing I've had a hard time with with that is that there are going to be aspects of you that aren't great. You can't love them. You can't love if you're a dick. You can't love if you are you minimize your needs. You can love mm-hmm. where it came from. You can love the pathology that it's an adaptive strategy. But if you're someone who lies, is selfish, betrays, you're not going to love yourself. You got to stop the behavior. As you said, like the value, the discovery of self, which I did want to come back to this, but the like value that doesn't feel good, but I keep doing it. The moment you stop doing it is when the self, the true self is revealed, Yeah, which that's, oh man, that's a powerful moment because as you said, spoken or Thought not acted is bullshit. I mean, it's not fully the self. It's bullshit. Yeah. And I think this is the whole like love yourself. I'm like, we're missing so many steps. So think about love. You need to know what you're loving. Okay. First of all, like if you don't know who you are, you can't love it. That's just, and if you don't know who you are, I also don't know who the person dating you is in a relationship with. So that's an interesting one. But like, then you need to accept the fact that that's you. That's like acceptance, I would say, is the second step. Then you need to respect yourself. Then you can like yourself. And eventually you can love yourself. But these steps where I'm like, you don't respect yourself, you don't accept yourself. And my God, you don't know who you are. Like, how is self-love the answer? Like it cannot be. I think it's setting people up and people are so disappointed and I feel bad because I'm like, it's an impossible task that we're giving you. Like you're not ready for the love. Right. And Just I take a bubble know, bath and everything will be yeah. fine. Yeah. Just like, just repeat some affirmations in the mirror, which by the way, might work. 
But if you don't recognize the person staring back at you, and that's how I start my story where I go to a bathroom mirror and I'm having a meltdown and I look up and I go, I don't know who the fuck you are. Saying those affirmations are probably not going to do much. There can be very helpful. Let me just, but if you're in this state, it's scary and it's probably not as effective as you think it is to try to love the stranger that's looking back at you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, to speak what you desire, but to not step into what you desire. You know, it's interesting that example you give of someone who doesn't even know who they are is in a relationship with someone else. And then like, who are they actually in a relationship with? And I think what's interesting is when they look at themselves in the mirror and don't know who they are. It just made me think like they're actually in the same relationship with the person as they are with themselves. Yes. Yeah. It's so fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, that quote that's sort of like, you know, which I love, which is the depth to which you can love someone is only limited by the depth to which you love yourself. Because you can't, uh, you know, if someone tells you they love you, but you don't love yourself, you won't believe them. So you'll sabotage it. You'll do. I do believe that a person who loves well, healthily with boundaries yeah. can wake up into us the value that we have by the value Absolutely. they represent in themselves. Yes. Like how hot is it when someone is like, the way you're being not a chance this is happening. Like, like not a oh, chance. Wow. It's great. It's the hottest shit. Yeah, yeah. Cause you're like, this person is willing to potentially upset me and lose me in order to honor themselves. Like that's foreplay. Like, are you kidding? You add some air arousal. Give me another to, boundary. <laughs> give me another boundary. Yeah, exactly. Tickle my boundary. That sounds yeah, great. Yeah, exactly. Talk boundaries to me. It's just, yeah, absolutely. I think it can be inspiring. And I think we can learn a lot from the people that we are around. And it can, it can yeah. I think sometimes inauthentic people don't like authentic people because he mirrors back to them their inauthenticity. They go, shit, I need to be making these changes. So next time you don't like someone, I always think this is such an interesting kind of thought experience. Like, are they showing you the emptiness, the flaws, the changes that need to be made? Is that why you don't like to be around them? Or is it because you're so deliberate about constructing your sense of self that they, you don't want their impact on, on that really delicate and I would even say sacred process? I remember someone saying to me that the thing you don't like in them is something you haven't accepted in yourself. And I fully understand that now, but then I was very resistant, like, but that guy's a douchebag with puka shell necklace. And I'm like, wait, I was a douchebag with a puka shell necklace. And I still haven't <laughs> accepted the part of myself that had frosted tips, who I was being when yeah. I was presenting that way. And I think what ends up happening if we resist or reject parts of ourselves where there was, you know, splits mm -hmm. in our past is we then reject the integration of the self that's still there. What do you think about that? You mean when we fully reject everything? So like, let's say I did something I'm ashamed of, the self yes. I'm ashamed of, the choices I've made, maybe I cheated, maybe I lied, maybe I did meth. But it's yeah. like, if I can't actually be with the reality, the truth oh. of the reality of who I've been, 
I actually can't fully integrate to self because there's a value in that behavior. And because it represents the lack of the value we want to encompass, you know, we reject it, but not seeing it's actually the way we pick up the pieces. Like in, there's that idea of soul loss too. Like the idea that we lose pieces of our soul on our journey and the reintegration or exploration of our past allows us to pick up the pieces. And I think we can feel the pain of that. Like the word self loss, like to lose oneself. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it's gut wrenching, but I also don't want to pathologize it. It's right. like, it's part of the human experience. And sometimes it's that void that makes us understand something was meant to be there. Beautiful. Yes. Like, and I think that that's the important piece of it that I think you're speaking to of like, it helps you go, well, this is not it. And sometimes that's where we start. We go, I don't want to date someone like you. I don't know who I want to date, but you're not it. And sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes that is the place where we need to start. And I always go, if you had the power to create a sense of self that you might even hate, it's a beautiful thing. Because that means you have the power to create the self that you respect, tolerate, love, whatever it is. And I think it's, it's, it's exactly the same skills you've been using, just more intentionally. And I think if you feel that emptiness, that's a really, for me, I had to feel that dark, brokenness, mind-numbing, body-altering emptiness to realize that something was actually supposed to be there. Before that, it didn't dawn on me that something was supposed to be there. And I was like, that's just how people exist. And that's right. why you do things and fill the hole. And that's great. Like, that's just being human, human suffering. And it's like... Yeah. And something was meant to be there. And now you get to try different things and see what, what fits. And kind of like, I like the picking up the pieces of your soul and seeing like, oh, that's where that was. And that's where that is. And sometimes you never knew. And so you can't pick it up because you didn't lose it in the traditional sense. Sometimes you just never had it in the first place. Yeah. Like part of the adventure of the self that you're creating, as you said, the self is always becoming because there's a future you that you're creating in the choice. Now, I remember hearing someone reflect, it was in a meme and they were reflecting on, I, I don't know who the author was, but they were reflecting on how we think about if we caught a time machine and we went to the past, if we changed mm -hmm. anything, it would fuck up the world, right? Like radically the butterfly effect. But they yeah. talk about, they said, but we never think about being in the present moment and actually radically changing the future. Ooh, so good. I know. When I read it, I was like, that's so simple. And we are so past oriented, but to be present, to be in. So for someone who's like, okay, I like everything you're saying, Sarah. It is on me. I'm ready. I'm going to buy your book or your Audible. Great. Go order it now. Links in the show notes. The, <laughs> yeah, the like what does it look like to continuously live as an adaptive becoming as a way of being as a way of being i love that word i really want in being to be my title it's on me is awesome because it is that reflection of being there's a mirror on top of the book which i don't think people realize it's a mirror it actually reflects back to you and i kind of like it i think it's cheeky. i loved that on the book yeah. when i saw it yeah. i was like well that's good yeah um really driving the point home I think, you know, if we were to strip it back, you're you're in a headspace where you're like, I'm lost. I'm taking responsibility. I love the excitement, but you need to do baby steps because you're not equipped, right? Like we need to relearn these skills of what it is to be the self or be in touch with the self. So what I teach a lot is like, 
how to get in touch with your emotions in a very interesting way of like, how do you reconstruct what emotions mean to you? How do you use emotions? It's not just about feeling them. It's knowing what to do with them um, when it comes to construction of self. Same with your body. One of my favorite chapters I wrote that surprised me was about my body. Not my body, our bodies. But like we often use the body as a tool, an object, a vessel. And I think our body is not something we just have. It's something we are. And that drastically changes how you interact with it. And it's a huge component of your sense of self. Sense of self sounds not tangible. Touch your body. That is the sense of self as well. I really try to shift your the relationship people have with their bodies and how to reconnect to their body in a way that feels authentic and aligned and like their self. And then there's the mind component as well. So it's like learning these skills and getting versed at them so that when you do pick up some eggs, you know what your body, your mind, and your emotions are telling you and you know if it aligns or it doesn't. Or you, you will know when something stops aligning because again, it might align now and then 10 years from now it won't, but you'll be sensitive enough, aware enough, intentional enough to know it's happening and what to do about it. That's beautiful. To be able to get that level of presence in the somatic experience that you're having, but not just, I think what most of us do till we don't is we dismiss that experience. We've filtered out the body, which... I think there's no coming towards like self-expansion, self-love, self, self mm-hmm. without the reclamation of the relationship to our health. Oh my God. Like you can't, like the, the foods, because if you don't nourish your body, like you can't nourish your right. mind and not nourish your body. And I see a lot of people who are like either drastically extreme in one or in the other but you can't have pockets of nourishment, you know? And you can't get so restrictive that it's actually not nourishing. Exactly. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of resistance to this idea of taking responsibility for what we eat and how we eat it. But I think we need to understand, like, there's so much research, like gut-mind connection. Right. This is not something that's just like, we talk about it because we think it works. It's like, this is, what when you have coffee, if you're susceptible to anxiety, you're probably going to have anxiety. One of the reasons right. I stopped having coffee, because I understood that what I ingested completely altered my mind. I, I do think you're onto something really. It's like, how do you treat your body from like positive affirmations, but to also like, are you hydrating? Are you sleeping? You know, we do need to understand that some things are healthy for our body and some things are not, and that's going to impact our mind. And you can choose how strict, not strict you want to be about it. But I don't think that that changes the fact. Yeah, that discovery of what you value, the discovery of the self through the somatic experience of how you feel through the things you ingest. But that's not just um, how you ingest the relationships you're in or the choices you're making or the lack of boundaries or toxicity. Sex or, right. Yeah. It's the ingestion yeah. of everything. That level of responsibility leads to total transformation and liberation. Yes. And that's that's the title. It's like I want people when they finish reading this book to be like, I am so fucking liberated right now. Like yeah. this, it's on me is the most like fulfilled, empowered I've felt in a long time. And something that, you know, I think people should read. And this is just going to be like a cliffhanger is I teach people about phenomenology and how like the last chapter, I teach something really complex and existential, but I go, this is how to use phenomenology every single day to 
hone in and refine those skills that I've been teaching you throughout the book. And I'm really excited to see what pe- how people would feel about it. But I feel like that mindset has changed my life. But they, they have to read to know what it is. <laughs> I love it. Sarah, you're such a pleasure. You're such a light. I really appreciate talking to you. I feel like I can dig into your um, mind, soul, psyche, and just like keep going. But for the sake of time, I want to make sure someone else can follow. We'll have like a three-hour deep dive another time. Please, let's. I love talking to you. Your mind works in mysterious and beautiful ways. And I feel like you care about existentialism as much as I, I do. Really that do. makes me so happy. <laughs> Sarah, for the people listening, where can they get all the things? My book, Anywhere Where Books Are Sold, starting September 19. Yay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the platform I'm most engaged in is Instagram. That's at millennial.therapist. And then I started a Substack that I'm absolutely loving because I'm starting to talk more about existential issues. It's longer format. So that's Sarah Kubrick at Substack. So find me there, get some free content or paid content, depending what you're into. Um, so those are probably the three platforms. Awesome. Linking. Great. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much thank for you taking so much, the time. Mark. You're so, so welcome. Fun. 